Healthy Issues, a podcast about leadership, management, and cutting out of work early. I'm Rachel Perkins, aka Pi or Pi Bob. I'm into words, operations, cheese, and whiskey, and of course, leadership. And I'm Kendall Miller. I'm a fan of pickle juice, wrestling my children, and water balloon fights. And today we are thanking Reactive Ops. Uh, full disclosure, I work for Reactive Ops, but they have sponsored us getting this podcast up and going. If you are using Kubernetes and want it done right, or just want to focus on your product and let someone else take care of your infrastructure, look us up at reactiveops.com. And today on the show, we have Anne Hortsoy, H-J-O-R-T-S-O-J, for those of you following along at home, Hortsoy. Actually, that's and- incorrect. What? It's <laughs> not a LinkedIn. We, we <laughs> talked about this beforehand, and we so, all nailed down. Please. Go ahead. Spell it and say it so that sure. we get it correct. It's actually Hortsoy. Yortsoy, H-J-O-R-T-S-H-O-J. S-H-O-J, that's the H that I'm missing in the spelling. Okay. It has great SEO when people can spell it. Sure. Make sure, and then I screwed it up. Okay, and then you're the manager of UX research and strategy for Cisco Cloud Security. Yes, indeed. So welcome to the show. It is really awesome to have you. And also full disclosure, Kendall and I both sort of know Anne from other areas. So it is great to have you, and hopefully we'll get to know you even better. I'm happy to be here. Um, I know. I'm <laughs> so well, let's dig right in. Uh, we'll let, why don't you talk to us about your path to leadership and how you got to where you are now? Sure. Um, so I've been doing UX for a while. Uh, I was an individual contributor for a very long time. Started many years ago, uh, sort of got into it laterally from a uh, web producer position that I had at a company called Media Map. Uh, started working on their intranet. It was sort of the dawn of the web. I got very, very interested in doing more of that. Uh, went and went and uh, worked for a consulting firm. Went cycled through various jobs, um, getting more and more senior. Eventually, uh, lit out on my own as an independent consultant. Um, did that for about ten years, and realized that if I wanted to grow my skills more. Uh, expand what I was doing. I needed to be a manager and I needed to work for a company because you can't manage as an IC uh, consultant. That doesn't work. (laughs) So uh, yeah. Um, So I went into uh, just regular work again. I got a job at a place called Blue State Digital where I um, was initially hired as a UX lead but uh, it became clear that there was a need for product management. So I sort of went into that um, and I was head of product there for a bit, did all kinds of interesting work there, left and went and worked for a startup called CloudLock, which is a cloud security startup that was subsequently acquired by Cisco, where I am currently. And I want to I wanna ask about that right out the gate. So I think, you know, that's that's... <laughs> And a lot of people, I guess in the tech industry, it's more common that a lot of people are a part of a company that gets purchased. And and CloudLock was, how, how big, how many employees were at CloudLock when you were acquired approximately? I think approximately, I can't remember if it was 150 or 170, but, but maybe 200 around there. I think maybe 170, 180 um, with offices. We had an office in Tel Aviv. We still have an office in Tel Aviv, um, an office in Waltham, Mass. Uh, some people scattered across the world. Uh, we have a couple of people working for us in the UK, and yeah, so people sort of spread everywhere. Um, and we were, so that was announced in August of 2016, and Cisco is 75,000 people, which is a little bit so, bigger. A little, little bit different. 
Yeah. Cisco is pretty big. <laughs> and so, so I wanted to ask, you know, what, how did your, maybe start with how did your role change through that acquisition? And then, you know, I'd, I'd love to hear some of the parts of sure. how you led through that acquisition, what it was like to lead a team through an acquisition, uh, you know, as much as you can or are comfortable sharing. I don't want to make you share any details about it that are uh, uncomfortable, but you know, what, what, yeah, what sure. went well, what, what didn't go well, how was it leading? And then, you know, how has your role changed being swallowed up by a massive organization? Uh, yep a smaller one. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, I'd say it's a shift. Uh, I had worked for a large company before that. I did a three-year contract at Fidelity uh, Investments, which I can't remember how big it is, but it's not, I don't think it's, maybe it's 75,000. I don't know. I think it's a little bit smaller than Cisco, but um, I think the main difference is our communication paths get very different. Um, I came from a company where it was very, the relationships were very personal. Um, I think that part of why it was like that is that we were founded by three Israeli founders. Israelis are great to work with. They are very uh, personal relationship oriented and it's a high trust environment. So it, that was very much the way it was at CloudLock. I think everybody kind of knew each other. It was very friendly, very relationship based, very family like. So when we were bought by Cisco, those, that way of communicating with each other became very different. <laughs> we were using new systems. We were hearing things from above. Is that a switch from Slack to some internal Cisco thing? Is that a, a switch from like a heavy or light procedure to heavy procedure or what's, uh, what, what, what? Right. Sorry, keep going. We were sort of like a, a small organization within Cisco still. So we have the people we know and work with. So that's our engineers, our product managers, our design team. Um, my design team grew after acquisition, which was great. Went from managing a really small team to a medium-sized team, which is wonderful. And that was a huge benefit of being acquired uh, for UX. We finally were at a size where we could do what we needed to do as far as coverage on our product, um, which became Cisco CloudLock after acquisition. I think that the, the stress on an organization like CloudLock after acquisition, and I think this is pretty common to anyone who goes through an acquisition, are, as I said before, the communication paths become different. Your CEO is now a person who reports up through the chain to Greater Cisco. Greater Cisco is kind of like continental drift. Just things just happen. Um, and you don't have control over them. You need to keep track of them because they it affects what you do. Um, and I mean, it really is. It's like continental drift. It's like weather systems. You just have to keep an eye on and an ear out for what's going on in the larger company and see how that's going to affect you. And you really, at your point in the chain, you don't necessarily have a lot of ability to affect what's going on several levels above you. <laughs> And I imagine that makes, uh, for some people who perhaps report to someone who, like, like yourself, like that can, right. be, that can be really unsettling going from a very close, cozy relationship with their manager and then the manager doesn't necessarily have control the way that they did before and may not be able to protect, or at least they may feel that way. Right. Did you have to change the way that you interacted with your own team? Not the way I interacted with my own team. I think it's harder to, uh, I had to work harder to give them context so that they wouldn't feel weirded out by the whole thing. Um, so for example, we get all these emails all the time from Greater Cisco that say things like, um, you know, this is going on and this is going on and this is going on in security. We're part of a greater security group at Cisco. Um, and how do you, 
How do you uh, interpret that for your team? And does that make them nervous? I think what people fear when they're purchased um, is that the group that they're working in is going to have an abrupt personality change. They didn't get a job working for Cisco. They got a job working for Cloudlock. Right. Mm-hmm. They, they bought into an organizational culture that's very different than the one that they're moving into. Just sort of, it's beyond their control that they're moving into it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's been interesting from that point of view. Um, and I, I don't want to make it sound like I'm beating up Cisco or beating up anybody. It's just how it happens. Um, yeah. I think being acquired is hard. Um, mm-hmm. so, there's, so there's communication uh, differences. There is, I think it becomes, um, you sort of are exposed to new people all the time because people tend to join meetings that you may not have expected sometimes if it's a high enough level discussion. Mm-hmm. You need to, we have an org chart where we can look people up before they attend a meeting. <laughs> which wow. is helpful. <laughs> yeah, it's great because we can say, okay, this person is at this level and they're probably here for this and you can kind of guess what, what, what their stake in the meeting is and all that stuff. Um, so that's useful. But you're always sort of conducting research, <laughs> which from a UX point of view is kind of, you know, it's part of the job, right? You're just turning that inward. Um, and yeah, that's fascinating. <laughs> Seriously, you're doing this like internally faced customer research, perhaps, yeah. and they, they have a lot of, you know, they could have a lot of impact on what is your team is doing. So right. Right. It serves you well to not just stick your head in the sand and go, well, I'm just, you know, this tiny is- part. Yeah, you're not a spec. Um, you can't be. You can't think of yourself that way. You need to think of yourself as inhabiting this new planet. And you you need to get to know it, and you need to understand its ways. And there's always a corporate culture that you need to understand, and uh, you know, engage with. Um, mm-hmm. I, and, you know, I was just watching the stream of news today about GitHub being acquired by Microsoft. And I'm sure that they're thinking about some of the same things, you know, Oh my God, is my culture going to change? Yes, it will. Yes. Yes. Was Microsoft different? Yep. Um, I mean, there's good parts too. Uh, Microsoft or Cisco has a ton of money. And that's yeah, so great. Just like the team grew. Yeah. I remember being acquired. So I was at a company, a startup called Brightmail. It was an anti-spam uh, company. And uh, after I showed up three months later, they were acquired by Symantec. And I didn't even have time to get used to whatever <laughs> yeah. the culture was at Brightmail. But uh, having having resources to develop, deliver things uh, is really great. And so if that's a thing that you enjoy, being acquired isn't necessarily such a bad thing. Yeah. I mean, we use Outlook now, which was an adjustment and, you know, petty things like that. <laughs> but- <laughs> From Outlook to Lotus Notes. Imagine oh trying to do email anti-spam with Lotus Notes. Wow. <laughs> Back yeah, in that's, the day. That's, yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. my least favorite email program. <laughs> <laughs> hey, at least they didn't migrate you all to Elm or something. Oh, um, hey, really I think I've used that, actually. Pine. Let's use Pine. Let's Pine, Pine, Pine was a huge step up. Oh. Uh, <laughs> we're all showing our age. Sorry. Sorry, yeah, you everyone. So, sorry, millennials that are listening to us. We, we, we also are for you. We, we promise. Yeah, those, those were email <laughs> clients, we swear. Um, so, so, Anne, along those lines, I'm, I'm curious, what's a leadership issue that you're dealing with or, or thinking about right now? Um, oh, boy. Um, well, right now I am... Starting to build, this is very UX wonky. Um, I'm starting to build a research ops capability 
Uh, and the first step in, in that is to hire um, someone to take over the process of recruiting users for research studies and mm -hmm. looking for someone who can inhabit that and build it into something more after we fix that problem. Um, I want to get someone who can automate that and <clears throat> not fully automate it, but automate the interconnections between, you know, hey, we've got some users for a study. Some of them are customers. We need to tell people in customer success that we've talked to these people so that they're not surprised. Or, hey, if we find some issues that customers have with our product through usability study, we need to communicate that. Um, but mostly, uh, right now, I'm trying to kind of spin up what that's supposed to be. And I'm not sure if that really qualifies as a leader thing, leadership thing, but it's an org scaling thing. I think that's leadership. Like you, yeah. you have to both figure out what it is you need to grow that aspect of your of your service that you provide, but also you probably have to talk some people into like understanding what this is about and why it's important and why it should be funded and all those things, like why right. they should work on that team. Uh, so that is all aspects of leadership, convincing other people of the value and so on. Right, and the way I've dealt with um, kind of spinning up research, my, my title is uh, UX Manager Research and Strategy. And research is funny because often I think it's um, understood by executives, and I don't mean that it's understood that way by our executives, but I think executives in general tend to understand research as being costly and uh, slow and taking months and not really connected to getting a product out the door. It's sort of an expensive luxury, um, and I'm sure I'm going to hear some fear for some UX people who are listening to this going, no, no, but I think often that's the case. Um, so the way I'm handling it is to spin it up from... Before you go on, you just said this is perceived by executives as slow and costly, et cetera. And then you said, and I think that's often the case, just, just so I'm clear. Well, I mean, I think that uh, I'm not being clear. So basically our executives are bought into this. Um, oh, want, gotcha. So people want to see value before they let you build a, a bigger team. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm starting with the research coordinator, but the... Um, thing that I am trying to step around is that research is often seen as costly. So the way I'm developing it in our group is to develop it as a capability versus a separate group of people. So designers doing their own research, which keeps everyone honest, which involves the engineers, which involves the PMs because they're seeing it happen on projects. Um, we see things that are across projects, findings that keep coming up. Oh, we keep noticing a thing. Let's spin up a project agnostic set of research to follow up on this thing. Okay, then we can present the findings and hey, we've done this big sort of project agnostic uh, set of research that has had real business outcomes. We should probably do more of this. Um, so Share it around. Right. So I've been doing a lot of that. It's sort of a, an inside out approach to research versus grafting research onto the organization as a big expensive extra. <laughs> so that's, there's a leadership thing there. Yeah. And it's something that they seem to value. It sounds right. Like. It seems, they Which seem to value, but they want to see the, see the value before they invest more. It's like a business. Sure. With yeah, and you're building out network to uh, to kind of bring in other other groups that might benefit from and possibly also help fund. That's also yeah. there. like it's it's political. It's definitely always going to be political. Who gets the benefit? Why are we doing mm -hmm. this? Right. Um, but that takes that takes a, a vision. That takes coordination. All of those things. Right. Yeah. 
So I'm trying to sell it as we go so that people buy into it and are enthusiastic and I don't have to explain to anybody why we're doing this. Um, but eventually we're gonna have a research ops capability where we have this person do a lot of evangelism for the findings that we have had across all the projects and the tech themes and et cetera. And in like getting to this place where you're able to sort of spread your spread your network out across everyone and and uh, and use your skills, like what has been the hardest lesson you've had to learn to get to this place as a leader? Or possibly the most embarrassing one. That would be great too, but harder. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, uh, you know, I can't assume that uh, everyone is the same across Cisco. It's a collection of acquisitions. Every bit of Cisco has its own culture. Mm -hmm. So the, the things that I apply in one area aren't going to work in another area. And how do you approach that situation then? How do you know? Do, do, you, start, <laughs> do you start cautiously? Do you, when you're reaching out to a new group of people? Um, I don't know if I can generalize. I think that Often you learn by making mistakes and apologizing profusely. Mm -hmm. Trying to work on the relationships before you ask for anything. Yes. A lot of times making a mistake and apologizing and coming across as a decent human being is the best way to build that relationship. I uh, think doing that, yes, falling on your face and then saying, I fell on my face. I'm very, you know, <laughs> very aware of that. <laughs> hey, self-awareness is, it's, it's, it's a really pleasant skill to have in a person. <laughs> Was she a leader? Totally. Yeah, totally. I mean, everyone screws up, um, and that's fine. You just have to be aware of it and not, uh, I would say, demand too much of other people without understanding what their goals are and seeing if yeah. they're aligned. And that's, that's, that's kind of specific to Cisco, but is there a like really difficult mm -hmm. leadership or no, is, is, are you saying more broadly? I mean, you, you said the, the hard thing has been learning that every team is different. Has that been the case across all your previous organizations or? The big ones. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a set of skills you bring to a giant organization that are, that are very different than what you bring to a startup. Um, they're different tools. Like at Fidelity, when I was there in the early 2000s, um, they had a very heavy design review process. And it was a very strong UX group. I made a lot of great contacts there. But I kind of had to work around the, the uh, I hope nobody listening from Fidelity is going to get upset. <laughs> but uh, I had to work around the design review process a bit and meet with all of the stakeholders before the actual meetings, one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah, so stuff didn't get bogged down. Yeah, well, we had all these stakeholders. So UX had veto power over what went on the website, which is the thousand, no, 100,000 page thing that it is today. Um, <laughs> I think it was like 50,000 pages then. And it's the web uh, version of, you know, opening an account or doing a thing, moving mm -hmm. your ETFs around. And the stakeholders bonuses would hinge on this thing being successful, but they had no veto power over it. It was UX. So that was oh. a really bad situation for some people mentally. <laughs> yeah, no <laughs> and, power. <laughs> right. So I had to make them feel very, very involved and involve them, really, mm -hmm. and make friends. So I made very good friends with all of my business partners and um, made sure that they got like, all of their input before anything resembling a performance style meeting, which is what the design reviews really were. It's like all the stakeholders in a room plus my boss plus his boss plus a reviewing designer plus all the stakeholders <laughs> everyone wants their say and, right uh, uh, yeah and no, no actual approval was done in that meeting it was all rehearsed so <laughs> <laughs> good you have but, to stage those things sometimes just get through it i yeah. completely 
understand. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, you have to go around, you have to accept the system, but also understand how you can work within it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, that being the, the difficult lesson was just learning over time how to operate across these different teams, interact with all these different people. I'm trying to summarize. Am, am, I, yeah. am I doing you right? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's basically orchestrating what you want. You're working sure. to an outcome. You're not, you're not saying, well, I can't work with this person and this person because of this personality issue. Mm-hmm. You have to contort yourself to just get to the goal and make sure that other people's um, goals are also accounted for. You're never going to have everyone aligned in a giant org. It just doesn't work. Yeah, you, you can't just put your head down. And like, I think for for those of us who are very driven to like, who are outcome driven, but haven't had to have this experience before where you have to talk to everyone and do your, you know, do your massaging of their uh, egos and opinions and get information out of them before you sit down to talk. It's, it's, that just seems like ridiculous, right? If you think you're right and the thing you're working on is right and you just want to put your head down and go, this is how it's going to work. <laughs> Yeah, I remember, I remember times like that and, and it just utterly didn't work. And I couldn't like, why is everyone so unreasonable? <laughs> it, those are hard lessons to learn. Yeah, Absolutely. but you know, I learned that I'm, you know, I don't know. Like there's things I don't know. And mm-hmm. I can't just go through a, a place like that and assume that I have complete information. I don't, especially yeah. at a place like Cisco or a place like Fidelity. Everyone's got more information about everything but the design. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> So I need to understand the business. I need to, you know, I need to make these people my friends so they will engage in the process. This leads right into a a question that we like to ask also. Are you an introvert or an extrovert? And how does that affect your work style? I am right in the middle. I really like being around people and I really like downtime. Mm -hmm. And if I have to go to a conference and talk to people for eight hours straight, I need to go to my hotel room and stare at a wall. I could not go out to dinner. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just going to burn me out. Um, but it's, so I tried, you know, when I'm doing work travel or something, I try to schedule time where I don't have to be around other people. Mm-hmm. Preferably in hotels with very interesting walls. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, um, you know, or I might just not go out really late with people generally that, that works with my jet lag too. But, uh, yeah. But you don't mind like going to an office all day. Cause you generally go into the office, right? Mm-hmm. You don't, yeah. you don't a ton although it sounds like you have the opportunity to when you need to yes but you don't feel like exhausted by just being around a lot of people at work no I don't um I kind of I I find it energizing um but yeah I don't like being in meetings eight hours a day that's not energizing for me (laughs) anybody (laughs) like that if anybody (laughs) like that we don't like them automatically we should should (laughs) take a tally just just number of people (laughs) who just love being in meetings and yeah we can we can totally (laughs) Yeah, I need a break between meetings. Um, I've definitely gotten a little bit more tolerant of, I think, the meeting situation as I've gotten older and more experienced. Um, I think that possibly because I understand how 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 to company <laughs> a lot better, <laughs> how to corporate. <laughs> Done via that avenue. <laughs> yeah, so I I know how to make a meeting come out the way I want, and I understand that it's you know there's a dance. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to engage in the dance, but it's, uh, yeah, it's not as bad as it used to be. I'm actually yeah. much more of a, an extrovert now. I think that I'm in a, a manager, senior manager role. That's interesting. Cause I am finding myself going in the other direction. I used to be a lot more like fear of missing out. I wanted to be present for everything. I needed to, you know, be involved in conversations with people all the time. And now I'm like, I have a hard time with the yeah. amount of 
interpersonal discussion I have to have to keep up with what's going on at my company. And so I'm, you know, I'm super impressed that it, it's possible to go the other way. Like, how can I make this work? I'm also kind of ruthless in meetings as far as making them, when I run them, they're very like, here's our agenda. This is what we're talking about. Okay, we can have discussion. Great. Next steps. Excellent. Go. And if we don't have anything to talk about, I cancel it. That was my my favorite thing about being a leader is meetings started when I wanted them to and they stopped yeah. the moment I was ready for them to be done. Uh, <laughs> you could cancel them. Canceling meetings. Yeah, right. Well, so so like, then I wanna I wanna ask one of our other questions is just, you know, how do you what's your relationship to authority? How has it changed maybe in startup land, in big sure. land, you know, big company land and and how do you feel about having authority over others and still have, you know, also authority over you, other people? This is such a good question. Okay, this is a great question. Um, And I'm not just saying that because I don't have an answer. (laughs) It's a good stalling technique. It's a really quality. Uh, Go ahead. (laughs) So when I first started managing people, I was pretty scared um, because I was like, I don't know. I don't have control over everything that I'm doing anymore because my stuff's in other people's hands. I don't think I would have articulated it that way at the time. I just felt generally off kilter. Uh-huh. Um, and I, you just don't have control anymore. You have to let go. Um, so I had people, my first people that I managed were project managers. They were really sort of project slash product managers at Blue State. And I have thanked them for putting up with my raw managerial <laughs> skills. In fact, uh, I hired one of them to come into my group at Cisco. <laughs> And she she did so. So that I guess that means that we we still have a pretty good relationship. Yeah, it didn't actually kill this person to be managed by you. No, <laughs> um, but I think the thing I had the most trouble with was giving feedback when they weren't doing a good job. Mm-hmm. When you care, that's super hard. Yeah, like I I know of one instance. I'm not going to say which one it was where I didn't give feedback, and I really should have. Um, and I also didn't seek feedback enough about how they were doing mm-hmm. from, from other teammates, right. other people there, other teams they're working with. I think I was more interested. I was scared of looking like I didn't know what I was doing. So I didn't want to make myself so vulnerable. This is in hindsight. I didn't want to make myself vulnerable by asking how I was doing as a manager. Am I missing anything? Blah, 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 blah. It's mostly like, I'm going to give them things to do and see how they're doing. And that was pretty much the extent of my management at that point, yeah. uh, which makes me cringe. Yeah, I think it's common though. It in, in in early management is like I'm supposed to know everything. I cannot show right. weakness. I must, you know, at all times seem like I'm totally have my shit together. And it's so not true. And it's okay that it's not true. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, I wasn't a product manager. I was running product. That's different. <laughs> like yeah. I was running. I was running UX. I was running product. I was trying to get all sorts of engineering process into place. I was learning a ton. It was great. But I wasn't a product manager. And one of the people who worked for me really was. And knew way more than I did. And I, that was a lot to cope with. Not from a, oh, crap, this person knows more than I do perspective. But I just didn't know what I didn't know. And it made me realize I didn't want to be in a position where I was trying to mentor someone who knew way more than I did about a topic. I think it's different when you actually have worked in that space. I have worked with UX people who are amazing. And I've, met, I've managed them. And that's fine because I have some idea <laughs> with my experience of how UX should be and how it should work. And if they know more than I do, great. That's fabulous. I can leverage that person mm-hmm. and really make them fly. But a person, like, I wouldn't want to manage an engineering group. 
Is it that you have to have an almost, you know, some kind of base level of knowledge of the topic before you know how much more this person knows? And so you know who to entrust, so you know how to get out of their way? Or what's the, what's the line there? I can't really describe it very well. It's sort of knowing what the shape of the container is, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think I'd want to manage engineers because I don't know enough about engineering uh, systems and code, you know, code practices and all of that stuff and the, the sort of the hygiene of being an engineer, like yeah. reviewing your code and all that stuff. I don't do that. Like what uh, matters, what matters right. to them, what affects them day to day, that kind of right. stuff. Right, exactly. Um, and I know, what, I know what it's like to be a UX designer. <laughs> so it sounds like this is slightly different from what I have historically heard and also felt for myself when uh, managing or thinking of managing teams that I'm not actually a member of in terms right. of is a lot of people don't want to manage a team of people that do something they have not done just because it's a it's a trust issue I can't tell whether they're doing it right or not right and so I don't feel like I have authority for you is more like sounds like you don't feel you have the understanding to manage them and to effectively to, yeah, yeah. To, 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 to be able to help them with the things that matter or decide or figure it out what, what, right. to, what to focus on yeah, yeah yeah I think it'd be different if I were managing a manager who manages that, that team right 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 mm-hmm. if you knew that person well right and- but as a manager of uh, directs I would not want to be in a position where I didn't know something about what they were doing um, what do I need to emphasize yeah yeah and I'm pretty loose as a manager I see myself as an enabler um, mm-hmm. I remove I remove problems I make I help them make those obstructions go away um, I'm not a micromanager. I will give feedback. I seek feedback and all that stuff. And as far as you had a question about how I manage up, is that what I heard? <laughs> yeah, or how, how do you feel about, I, I, I bunched together 10 questions just so that. <laughs> about authority. Um, yes. Yeah, no, I mean, how do you feel about having others have authority over you? And, and does it feel different in a big org than it feels in a small org or even just historically? Um, I almost, hmm, this is a good question. I, I feel pretty secure in a large org, honestly, I think because there's more people upstairs to talk to. Um, So if I'm having some sort of issue, I can generally work around it. Not that that just makes it sound like I'm working around my boss, which is not what I'm doing. Um, But the, I feel like when you're in a large organization, you have multiple leaders above you, either vertically or horizontally. Um, That gives you some options in terms of how you want to deal with uh, problems in the org and whatever. So you have more strings to pull. Mm-hmm. I can see that. More avenues. Yeah, more avenues for figuring things out. Um, well, more personalities. Even organizational uncle to go to, or yeah, or exactly. As the case may be, and say, hey, you know, why is my leader doing this thing, and and get some additional <laughs> like some context, <laughs> right? Yeah. Or just different avenues to figure out a problem that may be occurring on your level. It's uh, yeah, I, startups are interesting. They they're very much personality driven. And I've been involved with a few. They're very much personality driven. If you don't like the personalities that are in charge, you're going to have trouble. And it's very concentrated. Yeah. A lot of people are, are making, uh, a lot fewer people are making the big decisions. Yeah. And so there's a lot more potential for the boat going like hard over one way or the <laughs> other way versus yeah. the ship, you know, the massive aircraft carrier that Cisco is going to right. like, be a little more predictable. I'm curious how much of those things are, I worked for a very large organization for a while and I found out, 
about nine years in that most of my frustrations with the organization were still just relics of the founder that had just been passed down and become systematic throughout the organization. So I wonder how much, you know, every org is still just a cultural personality thing. It's just that it gets big enough. You can wade through. So, you know, there's, (laughs) it gets big enough. There's people who can say, Hey, you know what? Yeah. That thing's kind of bullshit. Uh, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think every org has DNA that doesn't change that much as it grows. I think there are coping mechanisms and reactions to it. I totally agree. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think the bigger the org, the more avenues there are to work around that if you don't like it. To address the authority, Mm -hmm. you know, from the side versus just, you know, going upwards. Yeah, exactly. Do you think that uh, if you think back to when you were uh, a child or in high school, do you think you had have a different relationship with authority now than you did when you were a kid? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> you, you don't care to talk about that? Uh, <laughs> Were you a bad kid? Were you? No, I was just very like independent. That's all. Mm-hmm. Um, and still am. But uh, yeah, you know, when I was a small child, uh, my parents got a knock on the door a couple of times. The cops brought me home because I wandered off. <laughs> where I'm going. It's a small town. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I just had no fear as a child. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'd say that I'm tend to be someone who isn't the most patient when things are really, really broken um, and I try to fix them. Mm -hmm. Um, So I guess in the case of bad authority, I try to work around it. And if I can't fix it, I go away. Um, So that's sort of how I deal with a broken situation. I've been in some really good situations though. I mean, I tend to vet the places I work pretty carefully. Mm -hmm. I, don't stay where I'm, I'm unhappy, that kind of thing. I have a great privilege to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm, and uh, yeah, uh, my relationship with authority. I mean, I think as I've gotten more senior, I, I think I talked about this with you guys a little bit prior to getting on here, but the, um, the way I've been thinking about how younger people think about authority or executives is the angry gods metaphor mm-hmm. where the people upstairs are angry gods and I don't know what drives them, but they scare me and I don't understand what happens in those conference rooms. I'm just trying to like tread water, man, and get my work done and, and have a beer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that's really common. Yeah. Um, in big places, especially, right? Yeah. yeah. And once I spent some time like Blue State and beyond... Uh, talking to execs and working through some of the business issues and really understanding. I think getting into product management was huge in terms of my understanding of how, how businesses run and connecting UX to business outcomes and all that stuff. Um, I think it really changed how I thought about authority. I mean, everyone's just doing the best they can mm-hmm. and nobody's infallible. Even the executives yeah. just want to get to that beer at the end of the day. They really do. Or their <laughs> kids, you know. <laughs> They want to go home and like see their families. It's, it's, you know, people are people. It's, uh, so I think at this point I have a pretty healthy relationship with authority. <laughs> Sounds because, like it. Yeah, yeah definitely. So yeah. And, and you, you make that, you have to make that assumption, uh, unless you've had hard evidence to the, to the opposite that your, your leadership is operating in a trustworthy manner that they have the best interests of the company and you mm-hmm. kind of you know, in mind, obviously the company comes first because right capitalism and whatever, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. but, but you can't just assume that they, they, are, they hate everyone, you know, no, like they're, no. they're evil overlords, which I think is a very a youthful <laughs> look at. Yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
Um, yeah, I think that's, that's, a, that's about right. Um, yeah. Everyone just, you need to assume that people are, oper- are operating in good faith. Yeah, yeah, it's hard to do. You've, you've talked about growing in seniority throughout your career a couple times, and I'm just kind of yeah. curious, what, what in your mind sets a more senior person apart from a more junior person? Like, what are, what are the key things that really differentiate them? And is it just a number of years, or is it the way they think about the C-suite as angry gods? I mean, what's, what's the thing that... <laughs> uh, resilience and the ability to engage in a conversation or series of conversations that feel on the surface really bad and like conflict and, you know, bad juju. And this is, this is making my skin crawl, but really being able to interpret that and see what's going on at a higher level and really work towards an outcome and understand where the emotion is coming from. Um, That's where uh, more junior people tend to fall apart a little bit. It's like the, the ability to see the bigger picture and to step back and have a more objective look. Yeah. And just don't see conflict as the kind of conflict that you would be really shocked to see at a dinner party. Um, And I'm making this sound really bad, but it's more like people, uh, you know, you're dealing with lots of money. You're dealing with people's uh, futures in a lot of cases. And um, it's, it's different. Everything in business is different. (laughs) It takes a really long time to understand that (laughs) Um, and not personalize it. And yeah. this is this is this is talking about good environments. I'm not talking about abusive or bad environments. It's just sure. business. I have a friend um, who I was talking to. Like this is like a conversation I had like 15 years ago, and she had just gotten into business from college. And she said, "Anne, everything in business is just like this is not polite. This is not how people talk to each other. It's the opposite of everything I've ever t- been taught about how to deal with other people, <laughs> and it's really disturbing." Oh, terrible. (laughs) Yeah. And it wasn't that she was in an impolite environment. It's just that you're in this environment where all the rules are bizarre. Yeah. It's not about the niceties. I mean, it's good to have them so that you can build relationships with people. But if you're trying to get something done, you're more prone to skip the niceties. Like you don't want, there's that one, there's that one like thing that everyone complains about when you're on Slack and someone goes, Hey there, you know, and that doesn't (laughs) say anything. (laughs) Yeah. And you're like, just ask. Will you just freaking ask the question you're going to don't, don't make this like the opening of a letter, you know? <laughs> That's the kind of thing where some people get really upset if you don't say, well, just say hi first. Ask me how I am. I'm like, I don't have time to ask you how you are. How are yeah. you? you know? <laughs> that kind of stuff really throws people off. Yeah, there's something to the fact that, you know, your relationships at home, you're trying to sustain for the long term. And your right. relationships at work, <laughs> They're That's not, not necessarily the goal, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're trying to <laughs> so accomplish something, and frankly, right. I hope we're not in a relationship 20 years from now. Uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but this yeah, is a it's good, different. This is a good tie-in for, uh, for another question that, um, that we have been asking people, which is, how has becoming a leader affected your personal life and your interpersonal relationships with people outside of work, uh, positively or negatively? So I make most of my friends through my jobs. So uh-huh. I'd say that's a good outcome. Uh, I don't know what that says about me, but I have a lot of buddies um, in Boston, especially from the tech scene over the last 20 years. Um, so personal. Like Sorry, what? keep going. I you said it says that, that people I... like you. <laughs> a lot of people don't like the people they work with. Sorry, keep going. <laughs> um, so how does it affect my personal life? I'm married to a CTO. So we talk shop all the time. We mm-hmm. probably talk about work way too much, um, except we don't care 
Um, so he's learned a lot about UX from me to the point where he runs his, he tends to run UX in his jobs that he's had um, mm -hmm. or bring UX to his organizations. Um, and I advise him on hiring and things like that, um, how to hire good designers and stuff. And he's given me a lot of insight into how engineering organizations are run, engineering methodologies. Um, he's who the person I go to if I hear, hear a term at work <clears throat> and I can't, I Google it and I can't really come up with anything that is significant given the context of the conversation I heard it in. Um, I'll run to Eric and he'll tell me exactly what it is and he can mm -hmm. contextualize it really well. Um, so yeah, I mean, I have a lot of tech friends. <laughs> so I, I don't know if, uh, I don't know if effect is the right word. Uh, yeah. enable my personal life is probably a way to put it. <laughs> oh, sure. Absolutely. Like having a job in, in, uh, in tech is, is, a is a, a huge part of my life as well. And, and being able to interact with the folks that I meet like yourselves. Exactly. Uh, but like some of the things I'm, I'm more thinking about is like, um, you know, you're, you're, uh, you're on a baseball team or something. You're, uh, you're in a club of some sort and people are just like milling around and nothing is getting done and someone has to step up. Do you feel yourself, like, are you different now than you were before? Because I was always, you know, mm -hmm. I want things to happen. So I'm going to just go ahead and step up. And I've just found that I've become better at getting the outcome that I want over the years with the experience that I have at, you know, figuring out how people work. Is that, mm -hmm. the kind of, you had those kinds of experiences as well? Um, yeah, I think I don't step up as much anymore because I'm, I am content to allow things to play out and allowing uh -huh. things to play out is a wonderful life skill to pick up because sometimes you can influence outcomes without doing a thing. Mm -hmm. You can read the situation just like reading a meeting. You're like, that yeah, person's yeah. going to do that. And I just need to not, not help. <laughs> <laughs> draw attention to myself and away right. from the problem being solved. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And that's fine. Um, and, you know, there's not one way to do things, not one right, what, one correct way to do things. And um, I think that my personality can be very direct and very straightforward and very, why aren't we here yet? And that's not something that's going to be compatible with a lot of situations outside of tech. Especially like volunteer orgs, things like that. No. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> Uh, I'm like face palming for everyone following along at home. Uh, face flying myself, by the way. Uh, so cool. Um, yes, that's pretty entertaining. Well, so we have to wrap up here shortly, Anne, but before we let you go, uh, if you had all the money in the world and money was suddenly no object, would you, would things change dramatically? Would you hmm. sleep on the beach? I can't imagine you'd stay in Boston. That's not supposed to be offensive, but I'm sure it is. <laughs> It's so offensive. <laughs> I love Boston. I mean, I might pick up a house somewhere else. I might get a get a house. I don't know. Nice a vacation home. Yeah, something probably not Florida, probably California somewhere, um, or perhaps Colorado. You shouldn't move here. It's terrible here. <laughs> um, but I would probably um, go get an art degree. That's what I would do. Oh, really? Is there a particular yeah. kind of art you're interested in? No, just I want to go like through a art 101 drawing, painting, whatever course set foundational courses and see what happens. Um, I think that would be really fun. It's not a degree I can do anything with. Yeah, the best kind. Yeah, exactly. I'm not a really big um, go to school kind of person. Um, I've picked up all of my experience on the job, but I think going to art school would scratch an itch and mm -hmm. uh, be really fun. 
An itch that you've gotten as a result of working in design? No, before then. Okay. <laughs> I have, you know, I didn't ha- I don't have a design degree. I have design inclinations and I have art inclinations, so. Okay. Well, I look forward to the day when you can uh, when you can make that happen because I'd like to see the output, if nothing else, <laughs> more arts. It would be Excellent. fun. Well, thank you very much. This was lovely. Uh, it was you. great talking today, and uh, we'll talk to you soon on the Rand's Leadership Slack. I'm sure. <laughs> thank talk you. Talk to you later. Thanks.